How many hours and years of our lives do we spend on work? For nearly all of us, we spend 30 plus years and one third of our days in our vocation. More time, perhaps, than we spend at rest or at play. But this isn't a problem. Why? Because work is good. Work needs to be integrated deeply into our lives and must be in line with our most important goals and values. And if it is, we have a far more complete and fulfilling life experience. Welcome to the How People Work podcast, where we explore the intersection of how humans think and act and how they apply themselves to their work. When you understand both of these things, you'll be equipped to be insightful, compassionate, and compelling leaders. Welcome back to How People Work. This is Jordan Peace. I'm here with my co-host, Jason Murray, uh, and we're excited to keep talking to you today about our own fringe HR survey and interviews that we've done. Um, we riffed, we realized, Jason and I were just joking with each other about our last episode, we attempted to share with you uh, the highlights of a 15-page document, and we got through about half of page six. <laughs> <laughs> Not one through six, just page six. Just page six. <laughs> so we're going to go back to the it top. Was awesome. Uh, but it was fun. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the evolution wow. of the HR profession and uh, a question that was posed in the survey and also that I posed right at the end of the episode, which are, which is, what are the greatest challenges you face in your role? This is one of the questions that was uh, posed to these 500 plus respondents. Jason, why don't you take it away around sort of, you know, what our curiosity was with that question and what were some of the results of that? And then, you know, what we'll does sort of tie that back into the evolution of the HR role? Yep. Um, so one of the things we were trying to learn from this question was in part perception and in part reality. So mm. what do people perceive to be greatest challenges and then what are some of the actual challenges? So some of the questions we asked later in the survey, we're trying to get to the bottom of uh, what maybe some of those actual tensions are. Mm. Um, but uh, greatest challenges, there were two ways that we looked at this. So one was which which responses out of about 10 that we gave to people mm -hmm. um, were most frequently in the top five by sort of total quantity of selection. I see. So these were ranked. One they were rank 10. order this questions. This is my yep. greatest challenge and this is my 10th yep. greatest challenge. So we gave people 10 options right. and we said, rank your top five. I see. Okay. And so there's two ways oh, that we can five. look at this. Okay. One is, you know, which questions most frequently were in the mm -hmm. top five. And mm -hmm. then we can also look at it from a standpoint of average position in the top five. Got it. Um, and there were actually some different answers depending on how you look at that. So most frequently in the top five, number one was creating a positive and satisfying employee experience. Mm. Uh, the second was communicating the value of people programs to executives uh, specifically. No surprise That's there. one that we could probably dig into a bit yeah. more. And then the third was uh, tools and budget to support employee well-being. So primarily the availability mm. of tools and budget to support employee well-being. So that was kind of rank order in terms of most frequently in the top five. So in terms of total number of kind of selections right. when it appeared in top five, creating yeah. positive and satisfying employee experience was number one. Um, when it came to average position in the top five, there were some little bit of differences, uh, but some overlap in terms of what those responses look like. So number one was aligning people programs with business objectives. 
Uh, two was soliciting executive support for people programs, and three was support offering fair pay and benefit packages at industry benchmarks. So that one to me was, I don't want to say it was kind of a throwaway answer, but I sort of treat it that way because it's like, mm. yeah, that's sort of like HR's uh one of HR's kind of baseline roles is like, hey, yeah. are we like at market in terms of yeah. the pay and benefits that we offer? It can be a challenge as we know to figure out like what are other companies doing? How are they doing it? Are we, you know, is our pay leveled properly, et cetera, et cetera. And so that one is, uh, I think, a more conventional part of the HR function in general. But some of the other ones I think are worth uh, digging into, but interested and your response. Yeah, I think the first thing that jumps out to me is a couple of these are a little bit similar. That's not a criticism, mm -hmm. but I think it's important to have similar questions to see who picks what. But the idea, so in your most frequent top five, right, mm -hmm. like things that were placed in the top five most, most frequently, one of the things that jumps right off the page is to us, and you pointed it out, is communicating the value of people programs to executives. And then essentially the same thing in the average position side, which number two was soliciting executive support for people programs. Right. So communicating the value and soliciting support. Right. Kind of similar. Very similar. They're kind of like different sides of the same coin. Exactly. Right? Like one is like, hey, I'm trying to prove ROI. Right, the right. other is I'm trying to garner support to maybe get budget yes, and whatnot. But you for assume these that if I could communicate and show a yep. ROI, I would get said support, right? Yeah. Um, and I wonder if this uh, this answer aligning people programs to business objective objectives is is really tied into the same thing. Yeah. Because I wonder if it's the frustration of not being able to solicit that support. They're going, well, I, I'm not soliciting the support because of something that's my fault. I'm yeah. not communicating well enough, and I'm not aligning the programs with the business objectives. Because if I were, then the executives would say, oh, I see yep. how the people programs lead to the bottom line, lead to the business objectives, yep. right? So that all feels very grouped in together with the thing that we talk about all the time, which is there's just not enough authority given to HR people. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I took away from interviews that we did is yeah. that HR people need to command the authority mm. based on how they communicate and um, their command of the data right. that they could be responsible for. Mm. And so I think a lot of executives don't know. So we're gonna have to segment probably based on company size and some of these. So I would say Fair. like some of what we'll say is not universally true across all companies. But right. one of the things, for instance, um, that I asked one of the HR professionals that I spoke with was like, well, hey, how do we, you know, how do we manage that reality, right? Mm. And what they said was, well, you know, in smaller companies in particular, you know, you might have an executive who simply doesn't know what good looks like. Hmm. And so because they don't know what good looks like, they don't know what to ask. They don't they don't have the right questions. It's on the HR person right. then to be the master who is in command hmm. because the CEO yeah. Yeah. may not know exactly yeah. like what to be looking at or paying attention for, to. For those that are audio only, Jason just pointed to me when I he did. said CEOs who don't know. Was that an offensive gesture? <laughs> no, I think it was an accurate one, right? And and we went out and we hired a very senior, yes. very professional, very well put together person to be our head of people. Cassandra, yep. and we mentioned her two episodes in a row now, but she actually hosted Bragworthy Culture several times. 
um, to, to do the job because, yeah, I, I think to your point, especially in the areas of, of compensation, right, and some, some of the, you know, onboarding and what contracts should look like, some of these right. things were just unfamiliar to me, unfamiliar to our yeah, entire the strategy, executive the team. Tactics. None of us felt like experts on that at the right. time, and, and she's been incredible for that yes, reason yeah. and for many other reasons that we've are, are even uncovering, you know, uh, yeah. in terms of her skill set now. But, yeah, I mean, point being, I, that's exactly right. Sometimes the executive leadership doesn't really know what good looks like, mm-hmm. and they're very reliant on this person to make decisions, right? prove it out, take action, yeah. you know. Well, and I think this is, this is true of how you operate. Um, I think you would agree, is you want people that you lead to tell you what you should pay attention to. Yes. And I think that's one of the challenges. I expect them to know more about what they do than I do. Right. Because you have the humility, I think, to hire people that are presumably experts in the field that we're hiring them to be responsible Some for. of us have an easier time hiring people that are smarter than us than others. I'm just, I'll, <laughs> this is true. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I feel like that was a little jab. There was a little jab of myself <laughs> there, but you know what, you know what I'm getting at. Um, so one of the takeaways we had with this was that working with executives and effectively communicating the ROI of people programs in relation to business needs specifically is really essential to the job. And so- right. Uh, I I don't want this to sound like a knock on HR professionals, but I think one of the things I've come to realize is people like Cassandra uh, are more uncommon than they are common yes. in the profession today. Yeah. Now, I think it's moving in the right direction, mm-hmm. but in terms of just sheer quantity of people yeah. in the HR profession, especially at smaller companies, yeah. Uh, it's less likely that you have somebody who has that kind of command yes. over how do I talk to executives? How sure, do I sure. understand strategy? How do I understand data as it relates to yeah. people programs? I was literally speaking to a company um, just the other day about some partnership things that we might do creatively with them. And I kind of passingly said like, yeah, I mean, a lot of, at a lot of small companies, what happens is you just have like an administrative person mm-hmm. who gets promoted into an HR job. Right with really no experience and they're managing HR for a company. And the thought is, oh, they're good at juggling a lot of things. They're good at details. They won't screw up the, you know, the minutia. Like, just put them in this role. It'll be fine. And now they're managing HR for a company of 100, 150, 200 people, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, again. the proper training or experience. Right. So it's it's not a knock. Um, but one of the things I think is true that we learned from this is like HR is often on this island out there away from the rest of the company, yeah. they struggle to get support from decision makers because they maybe don't always understand some of the business contingencies mm-hmm. that are going on that are just really necessary in how decision making happens within an organization. And so, you know, for you and I that mm-hmm. live on kind of the operating side of the business all the time, we're always thinking about like, how much money do we have? How much money are we making? Like, and it's not simply a profit driven motive. It's yeah. like, we gotta pay people. Right. We gotta make sure the business operates. We gotta make right. sure we're here a year Yeah, from in now. some ways that's how we we caretake the people that right. we have is we make sure we have a healthy company so that everybody can get paid. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but what we're not maybe always thinking about, I think you more so than I am are thinking about these things by nature of your position is like, 
well, hey, what's happening with the people and what's the mm-hmm. ROI and what's sentiment and how is employee engagement, yeah. you know, tying into some of these things. Right. Um, and it's really, I think, uh, the burden of HR professionals now to be really savvy with that kind of data and yes. how they communicate it and how they surface it up to decision makers. Right. And I think what really crystallized that for me is when I was doing the mm-hmm. interviews in particular, um, there were actually a number of these HR leaders that we interviewed who spent some or even most of their career on the operating side of the business first. Yeah, They were VP of operations mm. or even chief operating officers and those kinds of things before they moved into the people function right. within the organization. And so their grasp of the business needs mm. of an organization right. were very deep and so they very know how holistic. To speak the language. So they could speak the language yeah. of somebody who kind of lives on the operating side, right. but they could also connect the dots yes. more effectively between, right. hey, you know what? Here's how something like employee well-being ties into something that's a critical business metric or a critical business need right. that we're trying to execute on. And I'd say in general, the average HR person probably doesn't have that same grasp on the business needs, especially. Mm. Yeah. Why do you think about like, let's say your business need is you need to keep your customers, right? And we're in a difficult economic period right now, for example, right? And we've been really fortunate, maybe because we're in the benefits world, maybe because we just have excellent people that do an excellent job, probably a combination of the two, but we've done a really nice job keeping our people, right? But if you would imagine, like, if I'm an HR professional trying to explain to me, here's why we need to take care of our people in the midst of a recession. Here's why we need to prioritize them. Because they're the ones that talk to our customers. Right. <laughs> right. They're the ones that keep our customers our customers. Right. And there's only but so much faking it they can do before they just kind of phone it in. Yeah. So they're either going to be kind of true believers in the mission and the vision and ascribe to the values and like really want to serve our customers and want to treat them the way that we want to treat them. And that's genuine. Or they're just going to fake it for a little while, fizzle out, phone it in, and then we're going to lose our customers. Mm-hmm. Like connecting those dots together for an executive would just be enormous because an executive can fall into the trap of, you know, and and I feel like I'm knocking like CFOs. I'm not really trying to do that, but <laughs> you spend too much time in a spreadsheet, you forget that it's people that keep your customers, right. and it's people that sell new customers, and it's people that build the product, and yeah. it's pe- people that use their soft skills here, there, and the other place yeah. to to sort of help the business thrive. And you're just like, well, you know, like I don't know, they're just. On the spreadsheet, there's just cost. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we've had that experience. I mean, dealing yeah. with, you know, investors and board meetings and things of that nature yeah. where you're you're putting together budgets or scenarios yeah. that, you know, things can look good on a spreadsheet. Yeah. But how you actually implement that with real people is a right. totally different ballgame right. right. altogether. And yeah. so things don't always play out in real life the same way they do on a spreadsheet yeah. for yeah. sure. So, I mean, I think, and I'll let you take back over here in a second, but I I think that you highlighted one problem, which sometimes the wrong people are placed into the HR position, right, in small companies, and then those companies don't say stay small. And then you've got folks that are actually gifted in other areas or simply not trained in a role they probably ought not be in. But I think probably more often than not, 
maybe you do have a really talented, really good HR person, but your your CEO in particular is just not a true believer, mm-hmm. so to speak. Right. They just don't believe, right, that yeah. the people are the ones that like make the business thrive yep. and they're just like, well, people are replaceable, whatever. We'll just take out a widget, put in a new widget, it'll be fine. Yep. And, you know, some of that stuff, and I, that's that's honestly, as I sit here and speak into the microphone, that's who I, who I hope is listening. I hope it's people in my my role that need to believe this. Mm-hmm. They need to get it because these poor HR folks, they might be the most talented people on the face of the earth right. and they might do all the right things and they just don't have their yeah. ear because they're not really willing to accept that their idea or their brilliance or their vision casting or whatever is not enough. Right. That yeah. you need a whole bunch of really satisfied, talented people that believe in your vision, but also believe that you give a shit. Yeah. In order to did I just make this an E episode? Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> in, in, right, in order to do the thing and to yeah. do it with in an impassioned way that yeah. your clients are going to respond to. Yeah. You know, and that's, sorry, this is, this is just what gets me riled up. Yeah. Because I'm just like, well, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, me too. I think the it's CEO doesn't on. believe it's just, right. none of it matters. Well, that's what we talked about in the last episode is, you know, companies either get it or they don't. And I mm-hmm. think that pertains to, you know, people who might be in the HR professional is like, you got to look at the leaders in the company yeah. that you work at and you have to ask yourself, do they get it? Right. Or do they not? Right. Because if they're on the sort of side of the philosophical divide, that's like people are resources. Yeah. Then like- You need to find someone else to follow. It's going to be a rare case where you can convince that individual or team of individuals that there's another way, right? You're better off finding. But I do want to offer a little hope here. According to our data. Did I get too dark? No, 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 no. I mean, I think it's spot on, right? Because I do think that there is a very clear old way that things have been done that is a bad way to do things. And that those companies will struggle and likely will not exist in the future. And that the faster companies get on board with a different way of thinking, the better. What's more likely to happen, I think, is that the more millennials in particular begin to start taking over and running companies, Mm -hmm. the more these things are just going to be intrinsically a part of what's done within those organizations. Yeah, true. So some of it's just generational, solves a lot of this. Yeah. Well, and our data supports that. Yeah. Uh, Tell us about the data. Or maybe not surprisingly. I'm too anecdotal and emotional. Give us some data, Jason. So according to the research that we did in the survey results, uh, millennial HR professionals in specific uh, specifically, so we segmented kind of all the respondents that yeah. came in. And very cool. Uh, millennial HR professionals were most likely to agree that investments in people programs are clearly linked to achieving specific business outcomes. Mm. And so, my takeaway from that was and that, that's of millennials, Gen Xers, and boomers. Yep, assuming you don't have Gen Zs in here. Correct. Uh, no, we do have Gen Z in here. Okay, yep. okay, but but that comparison you just made. Yep. So millennial in particular, although millennial and Gen Z tend to align um, pretty closely in a lot of things that we're talking about here. And so that kind of fits the native analog, native digital paradigm that we've put forth before. Um, So, you know, we believe this suggests that younger employees in particular are actually becoming more astute 
at thinking about people programs in light of business objectives mm. and feeling that they have the support of executives and shaping those initiatives. And so I think there is a shift that is taking place within the HR profession that uh, millennials and down in particular are feeling that they have a better grasp and understanding of what these things are that they're charged with and naturally then are becoming you know more astute and educated mm. and equipped at how they communicate the value of those things to you know the executives and the, the people leading the companies that they work for what was another question that you ask besides what are the greatest challenges you faced that like you just learned a lot from the responses to is there one that you would another one that you would point to i i think one of the ones you can stay home with the same question because i know you slice the data a lot of ways so that's yeah. totally fine well I, I think one of the things that was interesting was um people tended not to rank soliciting executive support highly in challenges that they face okay so one thing that i thought was gonna be true yeah that turned out to be less true was that uh, HR people would generally feel that getting executives to buy into supporting people programs that they are responsible for mm -hmm. uh, would rank really high. Yeah, yeah, you I, would, know, I would assume the same. Based on building the sales team and having lots of conversations yeah. with HR professionals, that seemed like right. obvious to right. me. Right, because like 99% of the time, the HR person is all in on fringe, thinks it's the coolest thing yep. I've ever seen. But yet our close rate is not 99%. So right. There's a reason for that. Um, and so it it actually ranked eight out of nine in terms of total selections, right? Like how yeah. many times was it included in the top five? Eight out of nine, right? Um, but I thought this was really interesting is when it was included by participants in the top five responses, mm -hmm it consistently fell into the top three. Okay. And so I think so that when it's a problem, it's a problem. Exactly. <laughs> right. And so, I, I mean, I feel like now we're kind of beating a dead horse, right? Because yeah. it's like, you know, companies that get it, get it. And this the ones is that a don't, horse that needs don't. to be beaten for but, lack of a better expression. <laughs> right. I, I think what it, what this data says Poor dead horse. is that, you know, while many teams do feel there is some support, there can be a lot of variance okay. in the leadership styles from company to company that impact this. And so while people generally feel supported when they don't, they really don't mm. feel supported, right? And so I think that's the divide, right? Is like, I've got a supportive executive team or I don't have a supportive executive team, period, end of story. Right. I think that's like a really clear dividing line in what we saw in the data. Yeah, I mean, you can, you know, and you actually have yeah, obviously a ton more sales experience within selling fringe in particular and having all of these sort of consultative relationships with different HR people and so forth. But it's been clear from the beginning. And that's why you use a phrase like get it, don't get it, because it doesn't take more than 10 minutes with an HR person to see. I mean, you can see it in their face and their countenance and their language and, and what questions they ask whether they're coming from a place of I have executive support and I'm just here to figure out the best solution for the thing that I'm already supported in, or 
I'm desperately looking for something that I think is interesting, and please, God, help me sell this to my executive right. because they're not yeah. in. And most people yeah. won't. I mean, I think because they, right. they think about their own career. Yes. And they think about, like, the risk they mm-hmm. might be taking. And a lot of times it's like, eh, like, I'll play it safe, right? Like, yeah. status quo is safer. Yeah. Um, and that's human nature. And I, I mean, I, I don't fault people too much for, for that. Too much. Too much. Well, we and do I, value courage. Right. It, well, and I think that I do value courage. I think the thing that I'd say is I always go up the chain, right? And you yeah. say like, hey, who's really responsible? Right. Who, yeah. It's the leader. Who's really at fault here, yeah. Right. And it's the, the buck stops with the leaders mm-hmm. who are running the organizations. Yeah. And so I do want to come back real quick to yeah. this notion though that... Um, the most thoughtful of the leaders we interviewed were the ones that had spent notable time on the operating side of the business. They had such a clear understanding of the value that they bring to the organization. Yeah. And so I think for them, the compelling story really is like, if you invest in your people, you'll win. Yeah. And that was really confirming to mm. me because I think that's something that we've talked about a lot is like, yes. hey, invest in your people, you're gonna win, mm. right? is a competitive landscape. Yeah. Companies are literally competing for talent. It's right. been called a war for talent. It's true. Like even today right. in an economic- And you should clarify that you don't necessarily mean that every job title in your organization needs to have the highest salary in the company. That's Correct. not what, in the, in the country. That's not what you mean by invest. Right, yeah. right, yeah. Like in financial and non-financial ways. I mean- right. There is a bottom line aspect to yes. it. Financials I, matter. Right. And but I would say that the the piece that's been missing too is, and this is what we're talking about too, with uh it, people in the HR profession being able to communicate the value of the ROI. Mm-hmm. Like the way in which a return on investment looks when you're investing it into your employees right. is not as quantifiable mm. in the same way as like, hey, we acquired a new customer and mm-hmm. that new customer generates X revenue, right? right? We're talking about things like retention. Right. What's the value of having better retention? What's the value of filling roles that you have open faster? Mm-hmm. What's the value of retaining customers? Right. What's the value of happy employees result, that are right. four times more productive like we talked about? Yeah. Exactly. Right. All of those things, right? Yeah. But I think, you know, good HR people can start to lay out a framework to communicate those things. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, I think we believe, and I hope our listeners come around to this too, that, you know, top talent comes in and stays because you care for them. Mm. I mean, I think that's just true. Mm. And your benefits and culture that you have at an organization are a huge signal that point to your values. And HR teams are literally the center of driving those kinds of initiatives. So the efficacy of what Mm. you're doing when it comes to benefits and culture, who's responsible for that? It's the HR team. Yep. And I'd say that, you know, from our point of view, not just from a point of view, I think this is supported by, you know, data and research and all sorts of things is that, you know, having good benefits, having great culture, all of these things are really not just nice to have, they're imperative to having a successful organization that's going to attract top talent yeah. and people that are going to come in and want to stay at your organization. Absolutely. Where do you want to take us next week, Jason? Because we probably, we probably should wrap up relatively soon here but in this in this document and all this research you've done i i'm thoroughly enjoying going through this I, i've read this but to stop and slow down and discuss it and hear you talk about some of the motivations behind each and every question is super interesting so maybe talk about 
where you want to go next, and and of course, you know, share the the word of the day with us. And we'll yep, of course. Um, so there's there's a whole bunch of ways I think we can go. So some of it I'd say we'll we'll see where we we'll end up with some get. of this as we usual. Like free form stuff. Um, but that being said, I think there's um, some interesting dynamics that relate to fringe and in particular yeah. uh, with this whole kind of landscape of just a, a vast multitude of HR tools. So yeah. just when you talk yeah. about, you know, what's at the disposal of an HR person today to help make their job both easier and more effective when it comes to delivering a positive and right. satisfying employee experience. You know, 20 years ago, there weren't a lot of tools. Now there's literally thousands of right. technology tools. And so that's one of the things we think a lot mm. about at Fringe. And one of the things right. that's actually really top of mind in my role at Fringe is like, hey, how do we help consolidate the landscape right. here? Um, because there's just a lot going on in that space that can be really overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, so that's one of the things I think there's yeah. some. Uh, it's hard enough to have to pitch an executive, you know, once or twice a year, but if you've got to add, you know, 40 tools to get 40 jobs done, it's a little overwhelming. Yeah. Um, you know, some other things around just like how, how do HR professionals work with data? What are some more effective ways to maybe think about that and reframe it? Um, you know, are there things beyond attract and retain that are metrics that we ought to be thinking about? It's a topic we've talked discussed yeah, before sure. um you know mindset shifts and some things that tie into you know articles and research that we've referenced from third parties you know prior to this that i think we'll bring into awesome. the conversation so cool. yeah there's a whole bunch sounds to like a, sounds like three or four or five more episodes yeah, yeah so what's do you have a word of the day lined up i do or, of course yeah yeah so the word of the day for the next Voice episode out. obstinate Obstinate. Okay. Obstinate. That's fun. I'll just tell you a story about my daughter. It'll be great. That'd <laughs> <laughs> be an easy one. Uh, well, thank you guys again for listening to How People Work. It's it's really a, a joy to record this podcast. Thank you, Jason. It's uh, You make it easy. Um, kind of getting us prepared every week and, and having good show notes and everything. Uh, so thank you for listening, and we'll, we'll catch you, Obstinate listeners, next week. All right. That doesn't count. <laughs> that doesn't count. <laughs> I got to say it next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>